0: You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. You want to open up your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, a few Bibles in front of you, it's found on page 468, and hear the word of the Lord from Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, but for you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law Of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, if you're new to Sacred City, we, for the last few weeks through the season of Advent, we've been doing something a little bit differently. Typically, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through entire books of the Bible. That's most often how we approach our our preaching calendar. Uh, but for the season of Advent, we switch it up a little bit. There's, there's a few themes that go on. There's the Advent hemes, themes of hope, love, joy, and peace, and sometimes we lean into that. Sometimes we find other creative ways to express the season of Advent, and what we're doing this year is we're taking time to focus on one Christmas hymn that is sung, it's, it's very famous, popular, many people know it, you probably know it, at least you know the tune. Uh, And that that song is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, And the reason why we're diving into this song is because it is one of the most theologically profound, theologically rich songs that we have in our hymnals. Um, because almost every single line of of Hark the Herald Angels Sing has been carefully and meticulously crafted as a reflection of what the scriptures teach. So as we're going through this song, as we're unpacking the different verses and lyrics, um, what we're doing is also tracing those lyrics down to their scriptural basis, where they come from in the scripture. So we realize we're not just singing we're words from man, but we're singing God's words back to him. In fact, as we sing hymns that are designed in this way, these hymns, um, spiritual songs, we sing with knowledge. They're full of doctrine. They're full of theology. We sing with knowledge into knowledge so that our singing would increase. And as we're in the third week of Advent, this lands us in the third Verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and in my opinion, uh, this is maybe the best one yet. Okay, and, and let me read it to you, and I'll tell you why here in a second. The the third verse, it should be up on the screen behind you. Sings, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light and Life to all He brings, Risen with Healing in His Wings. Now he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Now the reason why I I like this this verse so much and why I think it's the best yet is because it is loaded with scriptures. Every single line has at least two or three scripture references and then the more you dig into those, you get into those scripture references and you find that those are in reference to other scriptures, other passages, other stories. So in my studies this week, my whiteboard, which I usually use to like map out thoughts and ideas, very quickly turned into like a murder map. If you watch any sort of like crime television where they're trying to figure out Who did they got the strings running from here to there to there? That's what my whiteboard looked like as I was trying to trace down these different passages in scripture and the themes in this. And so it's really sort of been a deep dive into some of the themes. Um, that that are fun to trace down in scripture and connect those dots. So as we look at verse three, what we're doing is we're sort of narrowing our focus and even a bit further to a specific line. And the line that we're looking at today is hail the sun of righteousness. And and, and take note, it's sun, S-U-N, like the bright ball in the sky, the sun of righteousness. Now, you might look at that and say, that's got to be a typo, okay? It should be S-O-N, like the son of God, the son of man. But, and I, I thought that too. For I, Actually, I've probably sent Trent emails before about, hey, we've got to fix this lyric from son to S-U-N to S-O-N uh, on the pro presenter there. Uh, but it is, in fact, right. It is the correct lyric, the S-U-N of righteousness. A- and we find that that's the, f- the correct uh, son in Malachi chapter 4, the very last chapter of the Old Testament, um, where, where there's this break in the testamental periods where, where God, for a long time, spoke through the prophets. He spoke, spoke through messengers, through uh, Moses, through the law. He gave that all in the Old Testament. And then there's this 450-year window of silence. And then we enter into the New Testament, So we are right here at the end of the Old Testament after God has has given Malachi a word to speak unto his people, and and in this word we see in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Um But for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And so there you can see the lyric, right? Uh, The sun of righteousness risen with healing in its wings. You see, it's taken directly from from scripture. Now, the sun of righteousness um, is not a very familiar phrase, I, would, I, I didn't really, coming into this, I, I really didn't understand uh, some of the origin, the background, and so what, what we're going to do is together we're going to unpack this, and as we unpack this, we're asking three questions so that we can understand what verse 3 of Hark the Herald Angels Sing is about and what Malachi is talking about in chapter 4. And the three questions we're going to ask are, one, who, who is the son of righteousness The the second question is, what is the setting of the dawning of the Son of Righteousness? And three, what is the effect of the Son of Righteousness? When the Son of of Righteousness rises, what is its effect? And so what we're going to end up with as we we chase down the answers to these questions, we're going to have a true Advent sermon. An Advent sermon that points us back to the arrival, the first Advent of Christ, and leaves us longing for the second Advent of Christ, where he would come again to judge the quick and the dead. So what we're going to do, let's start with the first question, who is the son of righteousness? Any ideas? Jesus, easy, right? This is like the perfect Sunday school answer question. Everybody is Jesus. Jesus, he's easy. Uh, one of the reasons why we know this is Hark the Herald Angels sings a Christmas song, all obviously about Jesus. But the fact uh, that Malachi 4 also testifies to this reality, which is more important uh, to, to go to the original text, to jump into Malachi. And he makes this clear to us by telling us in verses 5 and 6 that there is a forerunner To the Son of Righteousness. There's somebody who will come before the Son of Righteousness, somebody who will come before Jesus that will be a a herald that will announce the arrival of the Son of Righteousness. So let me show you this here. Verse 5 of Malachi 4. Behold, and this is the last thing that God says for 450 years. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there you have the forerunner of of the Son of Righteousness, one who comes before Jesus. And if you were to go to read about Jesus' arrival in passages like uh, Luke 1 or Matthew 4, what you're going to read about is not only one birth, but two births that are going on at at about the same time. Um, In in Luke's gospel, we're told of of this birth um, that comes to a woman named Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah. Zachariah... uh, He was a a um, what I'm I'm drawing a blank. Some kind of a priest um, that had duties in the temple, and uh, and one day God sends an angel of the Lord to come and speak to him. And in Luke chapter one verse sixteen, Zechariah is told that he and his wife, who are kind of up there in age, um, they're they're going to have a son, that they're going to have a boy. He says to this, and this son that the um, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb now here's verse 16 and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared so so the angel of the Lord is telling Zechariah, you're gonna have a son. He's going to be this, this forerunner to the son. He's gonna be the one who turns the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. That, that They'll be inclined towards the Lord. And then at John the, John's birth, this, this is gonna end up being John the Baptist, John the baptizer. At John's birth, we're told this. Um, and actually, so here's the crazy part. So an angel of the Lord shows up to Zachariah says, hey, you're going to have a baby, and then like zaps him with like the mute button. And Zachariah can't talk until his son is born. And, and when John is born, the Lord opens up Zechariah's mouth and he begins to prophesy. And this is what he says further down the road in Luke chapter 1. He says this, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, i.e., Malachi, that we should be saved from our enemies, like Malachi talks about, and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant." The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, speaking to his his son John now, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, listen to this, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, do you see how these prophecies, the prophecy of Malachi, what he's, he's speaking about, are now being fulfilled in the arrival of this man, John the Baptist, right? The, the prophet, the, the angels prophesying, telling what's going to happen. And then you have Zechariah prophesying on behalf of God over the life of his new son. And, and we see that, that the one that Malachi talks about, the one who will come as Elijah, is in fact, John the Baptist, who precedes Christ. We see this in the fact of the way that John the Baptist and, and Elijah are presented. There, there's overlaps, there's similarities in the ways they conducted themselves. But actually, Jesus makes this explicit to us in Matthew 11, chapter, or Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, when he says that, that John is Elijah, the one who would come. And so we have John the Baptist who comes as Malachi prophesies as this prophetic voice who is going to bear witness to the Son who comes from on high. And and this is exactly the way that John, um, the apostle, opens up, not John the Baptist, not different John, opens up his gospel account by telling us about the birth of this John the Baptist. In John 1, verse 6 through 8, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about the son, about the son of righteousness, that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So we see... John the Baptist comes as the forebearer to proclaim the arrival of the Son of Christ, which John later on tells us in verse 9, says, Jesus is the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, to give a little science lesson here, as, as Malachi uses this illustration or this metaphor or, or simile, I, I don't know how you want to use that, but John basically, in calling Jesus the son of righteousness, um, or Malachi, or the light of the world, um, is framing up this reality, something in in ways that we understand one thing that helps us understand something more profound. Um, So to give a science lesson, the sun, that big, big ball in the sky, and you guys know this, but I got to say it, the sun is critical for your existence, like, life doesn't happen without that glowing orb in the sky. The sun puts out light, which is something that our world can't do. Like, the, the, the planet Earth doesn't produce its own light. And as the sun puts out light, it also puts out heat. So you have heat and light. Now, light and heat is basically what makes life possible. If you don't have light, if you don't have heat, all you're left with is darkness and darkness death because light and heat I don't science lesson here the light of the sun plants process it turns into food for animals and for us animals become food for us we eat it we live life okay you're welcome who said that science and Christianity are opposed to each other Now, this is why light plays an important role in our existence. And this is why the first thing that God does in Genesis 1-1, when he's creating the entire universe, he speaks and says, let there be light. And there was light. Now, light had to be there in order for the rest of creation to continue to live. So light is essential. Now, what Malachi is saying is that, listen to this, that the sun is the shadow of the true light that is Jesus Christ. The sun is the shadow of the true light. the, the real sun, the Son of Righteousness, is Jesus, who gives us light and life. Everything that's alive is alive because Jesus. Colossians one tells us in Him that everything was made. Everything's held together. Everything's for Him. Everything is by Him. Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, brings light and life in the same way that the sun does. To an even greater extent, does Jesus. Now, this tells us something about our, the state of our world in the pre-Christ era. Life before Christ tells us, this tells us that there was darkness. If you have no sun, you have no light, you have darkness. If you have no sun, you have no light, you have no heat, you have coldness, you have death and decay. And so this brings us to the second question that I threw out there earlier. What was the setting? What was the context? What was the the backdrop of the world when the sun began to rise? And the answer to that is darkness. Darkness, death, and decay. In Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he tells us, great prophet of the Lord tells us, the people have been dwelling in in darkness. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has come. Now we see the same motif. Actually, Isaiah gets quoted later on in the New Testament as well. In Matthew's gospel, he uses that same line, and Matthew tells us, just as Luke did, that the people were dwelling in the shadow of death. There's this overcast darkness, and in the darkness, there's not just an absence of light, there's an absence of life. And and as we unpack the New Testament and make our way through that, we see um, guys like the, the Apostle Paul, and, and Peter makes reference of this um, later on in his epistles, um, Colossians 1.13 uh, helps us understand our world in the sense of calling it the domain of darkness, where light is absent from. Now, we need to realize that when Scripture talks about this deep, utter darkness, it's not referring to a literal darkness, but a spiritual darkness of the world, where people were alienated from God, where people had this callousness and hardness of heart towards God, and because of that, they were without light and without life. In fact, this is something that the Apostle Paul, in writing the Epistle of, of Ephesians, he speaks about in, in chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. This is what he says about the darkness. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And the Gentiles, it's shorthand for the people, people who are outside of God's family, people who are outside of the covenant. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, here you see, the, they're, they're detached from God's life source. They're d- detached from God, who is life. In him is life. And they're alienated from him. God is light, but instead of, of absorbing the light, of, of seeing the light, they've, they've darkened their eyes. They've remained in ignorance and a darkened understanding and this is called caused a coldness or a, a callousness of heart. It says, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So this is the state of the world before Christ shows up. Humans who have been created in the image of God, created to be dependent upon God for light and for life, have, have rejected God, pushed away from God, and what nothing to do with the life that God calls his people to live. Now, this is something that happens in real time. Like right now, our world is, is still experiencing this. Though, though the, the sun of righteousness has dawned on the earth, there are still many who are darkened in their understanding, ignorant of God and his ways. And we see this even as Christians, we have this tendency to revert back to those old ways. In fact, that's what this passage in Ephesians is about. It's stop doing the old stuff. Stop doing the stuff that Christ brought you out of and live as the new men and women that God created you in Christ to be. So there's this tendency that we have to revert back to these old ways that says, I know better than God how I should live my life. I know what I'm for. I want to do it my way, my rules, my goals, my vision for the good life. Now, this is nothing other than ignorance. This is nothing other than than this profound spiritual rebellion against God that we see started back in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve rejected God's one rule in Eden, which we talked about last week. Now, one of the things in Malachi's final address to God's people, in, in verse four, he actually warns God's people, the people of Israel, against this way of living. Uh, the, he warns them to, to, to don't throw off the, the guardrails God has given you through his commandments. But instead, he says this in verse four, uh, if I can go back, where's it at? I got a lot of jumping around today, I told you. so. He says this, remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and the rules I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So Malachi is helping us understand that that if you want to live toward the good life, you need to remember Moses' rules. Not Moses's, but the rules God gave to Moses for all of the people of Israel. Because if you put off those rules, if you forsake God's ways, Your ignorance will lead you into a broken way of living. And I'm pretty. Now, the thing about this broken way of living where we break God's commandments, where we push off, it only ends in one way. It only has one result, and that result is death. Because wherever God's law is broken, there is sin. And wherever sin is, death is in tow. Paul tells us the wages of sin is death. You break God's rules, God's rules break you. But it's not this quick boom, just knock you out quick kind of a death. It's a slow, agonizing death. It's a death of increasing brokenness. It's agonizing. It's, it's this um, uh, entropy of chaos, that chaos just swells and swells and swells. The more you break God's rules, And this brokenness, this chaos, it compounds and festers into more brokenness and chaos. Now, what we need to realize is that brokenness and chaos, that state of existence is antithetical to a life of peace. Chaos is the opposite of peace wholeness and brokenness are on opposite ends of the spectrum that if you're going to live a life of rebellion it will lead to chaos and you will forfeit peace now this is why in this in this uh, verse three it it tells us um, hail the heaven-born prince of peace this prince of peace this son of righteousness comes to restore things that are broken This is why the son of righteousness dawns on our world in this dark and dead state. Jesus could have come. Jesus could have come as a judge to judge the world, to condemn the world, but we're told he did not come to condemn the world but to save the world, to offer this good news of salvation for sinners. In fact, sinners are the only people that Jesus came to save. He says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for the weak. And Jesus comes to us with light and life in his wings. Think of it this way. The rays of the Son of righteousness are light and life. And he doesn't just bring light and life. More accurately, Jesus brings himself. John 1, 4 tells us that, that in him, it's not that Jesus brought light and life, that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus brings himself into the world. He brings himself as a remedy for our dark and dying world. The light has come, John testifies. And just as God spoke in the beginning, let there be light and there was light, God spoke and his His word became flesh. The light of the world now dwells among his people and dawns upon the world, beginning a new era, a new era where light entered into the world to push back the darkness, to overthrow the tyrant of death. The way that the apostle Paul talks about the domain of darkness or the kingdom of darkness tells us that there is is a ruler of that domain, And his name is death. In the darkness, death crushes all his subjects. And Jesus comes to push back the darkness by using death's own weapon against him. In this way, that Jesus comes in the world to die himself. And by the death of Christ, he defeats death. He trumps over darkness as as the light of the world, though at once it, it seems snuffed out, God resurrected him. And that's why we can see, as John tells us, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of the world has come in Christ. Jesus comes with healing in his wings, bringing light and life. He dismantles the chaos and brings peace. He takes the brokenness of our lives and mends us back together. This is what Isaiah prophesies about in Isaiah 53, that, that by his wounds, we are healed. By his death, we find new life. Now, that's why we sing in, in this line in Hark the Herald, and just sing light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Light and life to all he brings. Now, we, we need to, it's very important for us to understand this lyric in light of Malachi 4. Because I, there's this tendency, more and more, I, I see this sweeping through evangelical circles, um, this sort of a, idea of, of Christian universalism. That basically the whole world, all the people of the world will someday be saved by Jesus, whether or not they put faith in him in their lifetime or not. Uh, that's a very dangerous, heretical doctrine. Because scripture testifies to the opposite of that. Malachi 4 actually tells us that, that this, this when, when the Wesleys were writing this song, Light and Life to All He Brings, it's not a universalistic claim in the sense that everyone will be saved, but it does tell us that all kinds of people will be saved men and women. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, white, brown, black, red, you name it, all kinds of people will be saved. But there will be some who will reject the light of the world. There'll be some who hear of the light and say, no, thank you, I'd rather keep doing it my own way. And Jesus tells us that, that those people who reject the light, will be turned over into outer darkness. Now, if you, Christian, I I say that because when we hear that, when when we realize that we have received such grace in Christ, that ought to motivate us. That, that ought to put a, a fire in our belly to, to be like John the Baptist who proclaims of the light of the world, who, who offers freely the message of salvation so that people could believe. But we cannot hide away from this reality. We cannot revise the scriptures. It is God's holy and perfect word. We need to accept it for what it is and see that there are two kinds of people in this world. Jesus talks about it, the wheat and the tare, the sheep and the goats, and Malachi points them out to us. He talks about the arrogant and the evildoers in verse one of Malachi four. And then he talks about those who fear the Lord in verse 2. And you could not, depending on what group you are in, you could not have outcomes that are any further apart. Because the son of righteousness has two very different effects on these people groups. On group 1, as the son of righteousness rises, they are burned up. It tells us that they are made into a stubble, actually less than stubble, because no root, no branch will remain. It'll just be ashes. But then group two, a very different effect. Those who receive the light, those who embrace the truth. Verse two says, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. We're told in Proverbs 14. Oh, man, I don't have it. Proverbs 14, 27. I'll find it. It's worth it. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So so here we have a fear of the Lord, the dawning of the sun, and we see the light, and the light turns us away from death. And in that turning away, in the light and the life that we receive, there is a victory that Christ assures us for us. Now, this, this is one of the things that makes this a true Advent sermon because, on one hand, we're looking back to the dawning of the sun. And when Jesus was born, the sun started cresting the horizon. The sun, the sun was here. A new, a new day began. Right? The, you have the break in the Old Testament into the New Testament. The new day is here. And the sun is rising, and as the sun rises through the church age, as the gospel is proclaimed that there's life and light in Jesus' name, the shadows get chased away. The darkness shrinks and shrinks. But here's the thing the places where there is darkness that remains, it becomes more and more violent. So so while the light increases, while the the rising of the sun, and you know this just in the fact that there are more Christians today in the world than there were 2,000 years ago. The the sun is rising. And as the church age, we're here proclaiming the gospel, We're, we're imitating John the Baptist. The good news goes out and the light of Christ shines into the heart of people, chasing out the dark. Now as we sit in this church age, we're we're in the the world of the in-betweens. Theologians call it the already but but not yet. Christ has already come. The, the, The light has already entered the world, but it's not the noon hour yet. The sun has not hit the apex of the sky. And one day we're told in Revelation 22, 16 tells us, Jesus says that I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And that star will be hung up in the noonday sky where there will be no need for the sun anymore. It is the brightness of Christ that will radiate our lives. And in that light, all things that are broken will be mended. All things that are wrong will be made right. So this, as we look back to the dawning of the sun, this causes us in the already but not yet, the world in between, to look forward to the next arrival, the brightness of the noonday. When Jesus will come, and, and this, 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 this scene that Malachi explains in, in chapter four, verses one and two, where the judgment takes place, where Jesus will come to judge those who are living and have died. And those who have put their faith in Jesus will say, enter into my kingdom. I have shed my own blood to bring you out of darkness into light. And those who reject Christ, outer darkness. And, and, And this is something that Jesus, he started his ministry knowing that people would reject him. He knew that he would come as a light and people would hate the light. Now, as we, as we proclaim the good news of Christ, that, that all sin can be dealt with by Christ, that there's, there's no sin too big that Christ can't handle as we proclaim the gospel to sinners, we are left waiting for Jesus to come. And if you are a person who has seen the glory of God, the light of God in Christ Jesus the Lord, our, our response to this light and this glory would be just as what Malachi said. Rejoicing. Like like the calf who's been let free from his stall, this, this jumping and rejoicing that happens because we have received the gift that we couldn't achieve ourselves. Light and life to all he brings. And if you're a person that you're not sure, I don't know, maybe I'm in the dark. Maybe I haven't received this light yet. I want to encourage you to look to Christ He is the light. He is the life. He gave up his life so you could find your life in him. And for all who find life in Christ, Jesus now calls us into a new life. We're told born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Now, what do we do with that second birth? We live differently. We live in light of the lordship of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the rule and the reign of the prince of peace. And know that his kingdom will have no end. Born so men may no more die. In Jesus, resurrection, new life is ours. By faith in Jesus, we're born again and brought into his kingdom of light. Let us give thanks to God and share in this meal of the kingdom together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for for the fact that in spite of, of how nasty, how broken, how arrogant, how ignorant we have been, you have not thrown in the towel. And when, when darkness took over the earth, you, you could have just said, all right, restart, reset button. You could have just hand it over and let it unwind, but instead, God, you you had a redemptive plan. To bring light into the darkness, a light so profound, so powerful that it gives life, and the darkness can't do anything about it. And so this morning, we we stand here rejoicing as people who have received life and light in Jesus' name. We ask that you would help us throughout the season of Advent rejoice in what you have given us, that that the blessings of this light and life would be ours, that we would not um, become discouraged and downcast, even though the world at times seems dark, but know that you have come to bring light, and it's here, and it's in power. We praise you, Jesus. We hail the son of righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.